The second reading picks up the verses from Romans 8, starting at verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Thanks be to God for his word to us. From the moment we're conceived to the moment we die, our entire lives are spent in these bodies. We know no other mode of existence. We are fundamentally embodied beings. Everything we do, we do in and with these bodies. Pain, pleasure, activity, rest, eating, drinking, sleeping, loving, being born, giving birth and dying. It all happens in the body. Everything. The life we live, we live in the body or we do not live at all. And as the years go by, we become increasingly aware of the body's frailty and mortality. One day, unless the Lord comes first, every single one of these bodies will die. It's inevitable, it's unavoidable, and if we are fit and well, it's also unwelcome. Sometimes these bodies can become pain-filled prisons from which we long to be released. And the debate about the ethics and legality of assisted dying took a new turn this week with senior members of the church speaking out in favour of a change in the law. Paul in Romans talks about the body as the body of flesh. 
Flesh is the term often translated as sinful nature in the New International Version, but that moves perhaps too far away from the physical connotations that are associated with the term flesh. Flesh denotes this body as it is subject to weakness, disease, death and sin. Flesh expresses our physical frailty and our moral frailty. Our lack of complete control over our bodies, what happens to them and what we do in them. When our bodies don't do what we tell them to do, we can be conscious of the physical weakness of the flesh. When our bodies do what we tell them not to do, we can be conscious of the moral weakness of the flesh. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. I see what I ought to do with my mind. I see the right course of action that I ought to pursue and say, yes, that is what I should do. And I end up doing precisely the opposite. How on earth does that happen? Well, he says, if I do what I don't want to do, then I am no longer the subject of my actions. It's not me who's doing these things. It is the power of sin living in me. The power of sin that is at work in the physical members of this body to overrule what my mind approves and make me subject to the law of sin at work in my flesh. And that's not right. My body should do everything I tell it to, but it doesn't. The term flesh expresses our loss of sovereignty over our bodies to the power of sin that is invaded and taken up residence in our members and wrested control of who we are from our minds. Paul pictures sin as a destructive power and we see it at work in the cosmos, bringing death in its train in Gaza, Ukraine, Tunisia, Afghanistan, Iraq. This week, in all these countries, we have seen the way in which the power of sin drives human beings to destroy each other. But Paul warns us that this power is at work in us all. We can't divide, draw a dividing line around certain groups of people and say, we're the good ones and they are the evil ones. Every human heart is warped by the power of sin. It exerts its influence over every human life lived in one of these bodies. So whereas my body should be subject to my mind and do what I tell it to in practice, all too often I end up doing what sin wants and my sense of right and wrong is overwhelmed. The fault line between good and evil goes through the centre of who I am. And sin is such a powerful force that even my own mind which should tell the difference between right and wrong, even that can be corrupted. So that instead of my mind telling my body what to do, the flesh tells my mind what to think. Paul paints a picture of comprehensive moral defeat and failure. The external power of sin invading our bodies, wresting control from us, and subjecting our minds To the flesh. And the law? Well, the law doesn't help, really. The law tells us what is right and wrong, and and we know what is right and wrong because it tells us, but somehow that doesn't make any difference. 
In fact, there's nothing like being told you can't do something to make you want to do it, just because you've been told you can't. But there's nothing like being told you can't have something to make you want it even more. The law, which should be the first line of defence against the power of sin, has fallen into enemy hands so that it ends up stimulating the very thing it's supposed to prevent. Rather than being a fortress that protects the moral high ground, it creates such a sense of failure that it ends up imprisoning us in these bodies of death. It's good, but it's ineffective. All this imagery might be... I accept just a little bit too radical or extreme for the good, upright people of Horsham. But Paul wants to jolt us into an awareness of the human plight. Sin in the flesh is like cholesterol in the body. You might have no idea that it's there, but a lack of awareness is not going to stop it killing you in the end. Sin is a force against which we are powerless. It's a force which has comprehensively defeated and overwhelmed the human race. But the good news is that God has come to our rescue. That's the theme of Romans 8. By sending his son as one of us in the likeness of sinful flesh, God condemned sin in the flesh. How does that work exactly? Paul's language is highly elusive and hard to pin down. But you see, sin is so much a part of human nature, it's part of who we are, that God can't take action against sin to judge, condemn and destroy sin without in the process judging, condemning and destroying us because sin is is part of who I am. can't be distinguished from me. It's become part of my nature. But Jesus, Jesus was different. Jesus comes as a human being, flesh and blood, He takes upon himself our human nature, but he lives a righteous life. Sin did not control his body or his mind. And yet there on the cross, he embraced our sin. He embraced our mortality. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and took our sin and our mortality upon himself and took them with him to the grave emerging triumphant three days later. In his body on the cross, sin was judged and condemned. In his body he emerged victorious from the tomb, vindicated as righteous, having broken in his body sin's power over the human race. It's as if Sin and death unleashed their destructive effects on Jesus but failed to destroy him and were destroyed themselves in the process. Or you might think of the cross as the place where Jesus was infected with the virus of human sin so that he might develop in his body the antibodies we need to be able to fight it. The ability to resist sin given to us in the spirit of Jesus who lives in us. But in Jesus the whole story changes. The story of the human race is no longer everybody sins, everybody dies without exception. He breaks the mould. He's the one person who doesn't sin. He's the one person who conquers death. And in him and through him our lives are changed. The outcome of our lives 
is different. You see, whereas we have lost control of who we are to the power of sin, which invades and controls our bodies and from there asserts influence over our minds, when Christ comes and lives in our hearts, his spirit reasserts God's control over us, governing what we think from the inside out, enabling us to regain control over our bodies. Whereas our bodies were overwhelmed and our minds contaminated by the power of sin, the Spirit of Christ establishes God's command centre in our hearts and from there enables us in the power of Christ and under his leadership to re-establish control over our minds, our bodies and our lives. We live life a different way with Christ in charge and his Spirit at the centre of who we are does mean living life a different way. Living according to the Spirit rather than according to the flesh. Allowing God to rule and direct our thoughts, our attitudes, our decisions, our lifestyle. And as a result, the outcome of our lives is fundamentally altered as well. Whereas the mindset of the flesh is death, the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Being a Christian then is being governed by the Spirit of Christ, living our lives from the inside out, so that we're no longer subject to or influenced by those around us, by the power of sin that evades us from the outside. It is the Spirit of Christ in our innermost being that determines who we are and how we live. If you were to ask me, Tim, what is the fundamental difference between being a Christian and a non-Christian? I would have to say it's this. The Christian has the Spirit of Christ living in them. And that may not be immediately apparent to the human eye. Because we all look on the outward appearance and only God looks on the heart. Things like going to church, things like saying your prayers, things like reading the Bible, living a good life, believing in God. These things are consistent with being a Christian, but they do not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is having the Spirit of Christ living in you. Directing your life so that you are no longer under the control of the flesh. It is a change of ownership. It is saying, Jesus is Lord of my life. Paul says quite clearly in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. It is the fundamental criterion for being a Christian. How then do we receive the Spirit of Christ? How do we move from the point of not having the Spirit to having the Spirit? It is quite simply a matter of inviting Jesus in to come into our lives and to make that change. And it can happen in a moment of crisis. It can be a gradual process of widening the door and allowing Jesus in, sometimes without ever quite realising that we're doing it until we realise actually, yes, Jesus is Lord now. I can't put a finger on exactly when, but I know now that Jesus is Lord and I acknowledge his sovereignty in my life. But it is about saying Jesus is Lord. It is about praying, Jesus, come into my life, take charge and make me the kind of person you intend me to be. And when we pray a prayer like that, 
Jesus is delighted to answer it, to come and take up residence in our hearts by his Spirit and establish his kingdom there. Paul says that those who are led by the Spirit of God in this way are God's children. The Spirit of God within you makes God real, creates a relationship with God where you can have complete confidence in the knowledge that you are one of his beloved children and he is your father. Your identity, your sense of security, of self-worth or significance or purpose become grounded in the reality that you, you, are a child of God. You don't need to be scared anymore. You belong to God 100% forever. And nothing, not even death itself, can change that. Because when the Spirit of Christ takes charge, the ultimate outcome of our whole life changes. Because if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then the one who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. When our bodies are under the control of sin in the flesh, the outcome is death. It is the natural and inevitable outcome of our physical and moral frailty. But the spirit of Christ changes the whole orientation of our lives We end up doing what is right instead of what is wrong. We end up fulfilling the law through the grace of Christ rather than failing the law. And our final destination is no longer death or destruction, but eternal life. We know of no existence outside of these bodies. But the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that God will raise these bodies from death transformed, changed, eternal, glorious, permanent, not subject to weakness or illness or sin anymore. And God's begun that work already in those of you who are Christians by renewing your mind to make you more and more like Christ. The Spirit is working already. So while it's true that as the years go by, these bodies will get weaker and weaker, The Spirit is nevertheless working to make us more and more like Christ. And when these bodies are finally redeemed, as they will be, when sin and death are finally destroyed for good, as they will be, then we will live lives of perfect freedom. The life we were created to live in the first place. When when that happens, Paul says, the whole created order will be renewed and restored. All the damage and destruction by sin undone. That's God's ultimate purpose for you and the world. The purpose he had in mind when he created us, the purpose he realised when he raised his son from the dead, the purpose he is fulfilling in you by his spirit in your heart and mind, if you're a Christian, the purpose that will be completed at the return of Christ in glory. But right here, right now, who calls the shots in your life? Who rules your body? Is it the spirit of Christ in your heart? Or has the power of sin so usurped control that you're not the person that you could be? 
You're not even the person that you want to be. Jesus came to set this right and sort us out. All we need to do is submit to him, hand your life over to him, and invite him into your heart as Lord. His spirit can re-establish control over your life for you. But only you can pray the prayer, into my heart. Into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Praying that prayer is the step that changes everything. Many of us here have prayed that prayer and the whole direction of our lives has been changed. If you've never taken that step, you could do so tonight. Have a word with me or with the prayer team after the service. But if you know that you are not in control of your life, there is one who can take it back and under his sovereignty make you again the person that you know you can be the person you want to be, the person under, with Jesus as Lord who can live their life, not governed by the power of sin, but governed by the Spirit of Christ living in your heart. It's God's purpose and God's desire for us all. Let's pray. Lord, we live in these bodies. We use them for good or ill. We are aware of the damage we can cause to others. The damage we do to our own lives. We know the times when we are not in complete control of who we are or how we live. Thank you, Jesus, for coming in a mortal body. Thank you for dying our death, bearing our sin, rising again from the dead to give us your life. Open our hearts and fill us with your spirit. Take us off the road to death and put us on the road to life. To walk in your presence as people who know that Jesus is Lord. And help us to live that life out in practice. That we might walk in fellowship with you all the days of life in this body and then for eternity for the glory of your name. Amen.